dismissed at this time, and the rest of us, let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5. Proverbs, chapter 5, and it just seems like it's been uh, a very long time since we've done this two Sunday nights in a row. It just, uh, uh, but um, praise the Lord, I think things are going to calm down just a little bit. And so let's go to the book of Proverbs chapter 5. And the book of Proverbs, of course, is a book of wise sayings. And many times the Proverbs themselves are not related. Now chapter 5 is a little different than most of the chapters in the book of Proverbs because it is all one um, uh, discourse. It is connected uh, from verse uh, one, all the way through verse 23, and uh, again, uh, as we read through this chapter, we're not going to touch on every verse and every point, but the simple truth is, if you will study and know anything about the life of Solomon, you know that he knew what he was speaking of when he warns us of the dangers of immorality in this chapter as it was his downfall. And uh, these things, uh, he gives us a clue, uh, or not a clue necessarily, but even the pattern of how sin destroyed him. And if sin can destroy the person, the Bible calls us the wisest human being, it can destroy you. It can destroy me. And so we have to pay attention so often how many of you have ever gotten in trouble for just not paying attention? Uh, you miss that road sign. You, uh, I, I still have a preacher friend that's probably upset every time he thinks about it. I told him there was a big sign across the Major Deegan. And when he saw the sign for then the then Triborough Bridge, now crosses all five lanes of traffic, and he missed that, and if you miss that, you get a tour of the South Bronx. And it's not a real pleasant one because you can't get back on where you got off. And uh, I think it cost him an hour of time and frustration because he missed the sign. And so often what gets us in trouble is we just miss the sign. Now look what it says here, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom... And bow down thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Now this idea of attending is the idea of listening continually. How many of you have ever taken a class where the professor just spoke and you had to come up with your own notes for the test? Uh, they tell us that that is the least effective means of learning. But that is basically what preaching is, is it not? But preaching is teaching with emphasis. So hopefully uh, you will listen and, and be able to learn. And But the whole idea of preaching is... Why do we have service every Sunday morning? 
every Sunday night, every Thursday night, because you're not going to get it the first time around. You might not get it the second or third time around. But if you're here very long, you're going to get it. Amen? Uh, because we repeat it a lot. And that's what this whole idea of attending is, is you have, you have got... Teens already went downstairs. Okay. Um, and so there's this purpose here, this idea of listening, of tuning your ears. It says, bow thine ear to my understanding. I remember taking a class called Shakespeare. Now, why I had to take Shakespeare in Bible college, I will never, ever understand. But it was a required class. And we had one of the strangest professors that I've ever had teach at the, my Bible college for Shakespeare. I mean, it was a, it was a strange class uh, and a strange teacher. And he told us at the beginning, he said, I am a great teacher. Now, of course, what is your first thought when someone says something like that? Oh, come on, give me. He wasn't kidding. He said, you will enjoy Shakespeare because I'm a great teacher. You know what? He bowed our ears to his understanding. And we actually enjoyed Shakespeare. Praise God, it was only five days long. But... The simple truth of the matter is you have got to, if you're going to get understanding, you've got to bend yourself in the right direction. That's what the word bow means. It means to bend. Uh, and it says you're going to have to bend your ear unto my understanding. You know, there are things in this life that you will not get unless someone teaches it to you. You'll never understand certain things unless you let someone bend you a little bit. I've been accused, said, you're going to warp your children. That's exactly my intention, amen? I, I want my children to be warped to the right form. They will not grow properly by themselves. If you've ever seen the building of a wooden ship, you talk about an art form. They have to bow that wood. It's spelled the same way, just pronounced differently. They soak it in water and they begin the bending process. They literally bind it to the form that they want it to be bent in. Because you can't just get out your screw gun and put a wooden ship together by screwing screws from the outside in. Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't work that way. Because wherever the screw goes through, the water's going through. Not a good thing. 
And so the wood has to be warped into shape. A little finer, more beautiful explanation is, how many of you have seen a musical instrument? They get all those fancy curves in the wood. Same thing. The Bible says that you are supposed to bend your ear toward Solomon's talking to his son. He says, attend unto my sayings. I want you to listen. I want you to listen continually. I want you to listen to the point to where you begin to understand life through my understanding. You see, the one thing we learn from history is that, does anybody remember the rest of it? We don't learn from history. Why? Because we refuse, most of us, to bend our ears to the understanding of the people who made the mistakes. If we would, we wouldn't repeat them. And Solomon is talking to his son. He says, I want you to attend. I want you to listen. I want you to continually listen. If it sounds somewhat repetitious around here, it's on purpose. Because we need to hear it over and over again. No, we're not trying to brainwash you. But I'll tell you what, if you get enough of this book in your brain, you'll get a clean brain. Amen? Amen. And that is the goal, is it not? And it is being able not to just see something and understand something as another human being, but see things the way God sees things. Understand things the way that God wants you to understand things. Uh, let me just give this illustration. Have you ever heard anybody who said all the right things and it just left you feeling a little weird? You ever had that happen? Turn on the TV or something, some preacher's up there talking and said, boy, something's strange or somebody, you run into some... Let me tell you where that's coming from. You've warped your understanding to God's And even though everything is being said right, the Holy Spirit is able to give you an understanding that this is not this. It's training. There's a thing, uh, I think Sarah took it either last semester or called ear training, where they train your ear to be able to hear the notes and actually know what note you're listening to. Now, that's a wonderful thing. I never have gotten it. Uh, I can't play by ear. If it's written out, I can usually play it. Once in a while, my wife will say, now, just repeat this over and over again, and I'll learn it. But that's not playing by ear. Now, little Ruthie, she can play by ear. She hears it, and all of a sudden, it comes out on that little flute of hers. I don't know how she gets all those notes out of that little flute, but she does. Because she can hear it, she makes the flute make the sound. And here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to hear it so your life will match the wisdom of his word. Amen? And so let's look, read on here. 
here's what's going to happen, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. That thou mayest regard discretion. How many of you have something that you keep in great regard? If you went to the men's meeting, Brother uh, Davison was preaching. He was talking about a watch that he holds in great regard because it was given to him by a church when he uh, resigned there. And it was a valuable watch and he held that in great regard. And just was using that as an illustration um, with all the things going on in my family, I've, I've gotten a whole load of family pictures. And so now is the process of scanning and putting them together so that uh, they won't, won't be lost. And because we keep those things in regard. In fact, my wife said to me as we were talking about all this, is maybe we ought to do something with that video of our wedding because sooner, sooner than later the tape's going to wear out and we're going to lose access to those things, and we just won't have them anymore. The idea of regarding something is holding it in esteem, is keeping it available to us, not losing it. It says the thing that we're supposed to regard is a word we do not use much in modern English, discretion. How many of you would say, Pastor, I could use a little more discretion? That would keep me from saying things that I ought not say. That's discretion. Doing things that I ought not do. Andrew has said, Dad, I think I've got it perfected here. He said, I'm going to make a little button. And instead of it saying easy like Staples button, it's going to say awkward. And he said, anytime somebody does something, he says, I'm just going to hit the awkward button. And uh, that often happens as you get a bunch of college students together. Someone does or says something that is just not in discretion, is not discreet. Why? Because they're learning. They ought to learn. Amen? Especially at Bible college. But the simple truth of the matter is, we often do not regard discretion. In fact, in our society, what do we regard? We regard the guy that can put the lampshade on his head and dance on the table at the party. I mean, that's who we regard. Uh, that's not fun. Especially shows up on your Facebook page as you're applying for a job. Um, I, I don't know that I'll forget the time. I was actually in a meeting uh, and the one of the preachers that was there was asked to speak on discretion. He was unbelievable. He was the most indiscreet man I've ever met. And the illustrations he gave was just beyond my, my comprehension. He thought he was going to be cute and send somewhat of a racy text to his wife, and he sent it to his youth director by mistake. And his youth director texts him back and said, Preacher, are you all right? And he's going, Oh, no, what did I do? Well, discretion, real discretion, when you don't text anything. You don't want everyone to read, amen? 
You see, the temptation is to think this is cute. When you regard discretion, it's no longer cute. It's something I want to turn away from. You see, people think, oh, a little flirtation, that's okay. No, it's not. But you know what? You've got to teach yourself, allow yourself to be taught to regard discretion. The rest of this psalm is about these first two, I mean, proverb, I'm sorry, chapter. The rest of this chapter is about these first two verses that you can regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. I think if I ever get a button, it'll just say stupid on it. And uh, so many things that we say, just say, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. That thy lips may keep knowledge. So here is the setting. He said, if you're going to learn how to regard discretion, you've got to attend unto my wisdom. You've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. You've got to bend or you've got to bow your ear to my understanding that you can regard discretion. You will now understand what is true discretion and that your lips may keep knowledge that you'll have something to say that will be wise that will be proper when you say it. And then he goes on to explain the dangers. He says, The lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, what we have here in these two verses is a perfect illustration of what Hebrew poetry is all about. This is the uh, uh, one of the books of poetry here. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme words, it rhymes ideals. Here's how, look how it starts. Drop as in honeycomb, sweet. Verse 4, end, bitter as wormwood. What is the opposite of sweet? Bitter. It says, smoother than oil. Well, that's nice. That's comfortable. That's pleasant. Sharper than a two-edged sword. What is that? Death. And he's writing these things. It starts out nice. It's sweet. It's smooth. But when it's over, it's going to be bitter. And it is going to be the danger of death. Her Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Look at verse 6. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Don't try to understand sin. I mean, this applies to every sin. I actually had a fellow tell me one time, he says, you can't help me. I'm a drug addict. I'm addicted. You don't know what that is. I said, excuse me. You're trying to tell me that I need to be addicted to the same stuff that you are to help you? I said, that doesn't make any sense. I said, how are you going to learn 
to live a life of unaddiction unless you talk to somebody who's not addicted. Yet the world constantly, you know, I, I don't watch TV, I don't have cable, never have had cable, have no intention of ever having it. You can learn about anything you want on cable television. Most of it's rotten. The History Channel. I remember one time Peter was young and we were out somewhere, just he and I, and he said, Dad, can't we watch the History Channel just a little bit? And I said, oh, okay, son, just give me a break. Uh, so we turned on the History Channel and all of a sudden this commercial came on, the history of something they didn't want to learn about. I said, now you know why. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It starts out good. It starts out with this idea that somehow you're going to gain some special understanding. Let me tell you, you cannot understand sin. Don't waste your time pondering the path of the life of the sinner because they can turn on a dime. One moment it'll be this motivation, the next moment it'll be an entirely different motivation. Sin does not make sense. Never has, never will. Why should someone destroy their life? Hmm? But isn't that sin when it is finished? Bringeth forth what? I mean, that's what this chapter is all about. Look at verse 7. Again, we go back to reiterating verses 1 and 2. Hear me thou therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not, the nigh, come not nigh the door of her house. We have this idea of, I can get close, but I won't fall in. I love the story they tell, and I've used this illustration many times. It was back in old England, the queen was looking for a carriage driver. And so she took the last three finalists up to a very high and dangerous road, and she said, with my royal person in the Coach, how close could you come to the edge and feel fully confident of my safety? Well, the first guy says, oh, I could come within 12 inches and it wouldn't be a problem. Well, what's the next guy going to say? He's going to say, six inches, you know, I can get closer. You know what the guy that got the job said? With your royal person in the coach, it would be my duty to stay as far away from the edge as I possibly can. Does that sound like somebody's regarding a little discretion maybe? Uh, that they have bowed their ears to understanding? Uh, why can't we think like that? You know why? Because we're not regarding discretion. That's why we're not thinking like that. We have not bowed our ears to the understanding that belongs to God. There's some more training that needs to go into this thing if we're going to be safe. You cannot play with sin. And then it goes on to give some of the things that are going to happen. It says, lest thou give thine honor unto others 
in thy years unto the cruel. I wonder how many people, their reputation is held in the hand of someone who knows something about them that they don't want anybody else to know. That's what this verse is saying. You're going to give your honor unto others when you allow sin to come into your life. Your years are going to be belong unto the cruel. Manipulation. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a dangerous business. But it's everywhere you go, is it not? Do you know that you are loading the gun that others will use to control you when you choose to allow sin in your life? That's what this verse is saying. You're going to give your honor unto others. They're going to hold your honor in their hand. And guess what? You'd be amazed at what you would be willing to do to keep an honor that is fake intact. People commit murder. They do all kinds of horrible things. Their lives, their years belong unto the cruel. I'll tell you, there's only one way to break the pattern. You've got to come to Jesus and get his forgiveness. Amen. He'll do it. He's the only one that can. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy, light, thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Sin destroys. And say, now look at verse 12. Again, we're going back to verses 1 and 2. How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined or bowed my ear to them that instructed me. Now look at verse 14. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. You know what? You can be in church and in sin at the same time. But there'll come a time when sin will catch up. And you won't be in church anymore. You, you'd be ashamed to hold your face. Show your face, I should say. Let me, let me warn you. All of these things that he warned against in verses 1 and 2 and then again in, in verse 7 and 8... When we get to verse 11 and 12 and 13, every one of them was disobeyed. It's not a complicated thing. In fact, some people think, well, it's, it's just boring. I mean, all I do is I go to church. I had somebody say, well, what, what do you do? I said, well, I go to church. Oh, come on, you got to. Well, listen, I, I want the good things that are in this book. I don't want all the regrets and the skeletons in the closet and people, other people controlling my life and telling me what to do so that I can keep up some semblance of appearance. I've got to walk with the Savior. 
You cannot disobey God's word and get away with it. Then, then, then verse 15 starts uh, another passage. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Could I just paraphrase that? Stay home. Don't go looking for what you need in life somewhere else. You know, this happens in religion. This happens in finances. People go to Las Vegas looking for something they can't get at home by just working. You heard about the guy that drove the $60,000 Cadillac to Las Vegas and came home on the 250000 Greyhound bus. You see, he lost everything. And that's what happens when you go out looking for things. Drink water out of thine own well. You know what? God's given you a well that will never run dry. And the only reason the water's not running fresh is because you're not digging. You're not spending time. Stay pure. Let's Skip down here to verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. God is watching. Now we know that. But does that really stop you when you want to do something? No. You know what's going to stop you when you want to do something? Uh, Go back to verse 1. Attend unto my words. Bow thine ear. That's what's going to stop you. Not, well, God's watching me, boy. No, that's where you mess up. If you wait until then, you're going to sin, my friend. You've got to make the decision before you get there. You've got to not even come nigh the door. You've got to change the path of your life. You've got to alter the way you live to be in agreement because God is watching. He pondereth all his goings. Why is God pondering all of our goings? Because everyone's got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. God is going to give you the reasons why you did the things that you don't think you have a reason for doing. Now look at verse 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. Sometimes people picture God as someone, we've we've got a phrase, Give a man enough rope and he'll hang himself with it. That's not God. That's the devil. That's human nature. You'll do that yourself. God's not laying a trap for you, my friend. God wants you to walk in the right way. He's laid out wisdom. All he's asking you to do is bend your ear, incline your heart. Just be obedient in the little things. I mean... How many of you lived in New York City before 1992? Do you remember the way this place was? And we had a mayor come in 
And he started dealing with the little things. Do you remember that? We're going to clean the graffiti up. We're, we're going to get rid of the squeegee guys at the intersections. We're, we're going to deal with some quality of life issues. And some of them great big things that were such a problem took care of themselves now, didn't they? You know why? Because one preacher said this, I kind of like it, sin comes in six packs. It doesn't come by itself. It says here, that the iniquities, his own iniquities, shall take the wicked himself. It is one sin that leads to another. It says, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction in the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. Now, how many of you remember the life of Solomon? Does this not describe the latter years of Solomon? Solomon would write the words that it's better to obey the Lord when you're young than to be a foolish old king that cannot do what's right. Why could not Solomon do what was right when he was old? Well, it was because he was bound with the cords of his iniquities. He had allowed himself to walk down that pathway one step at a time. And what did not seem so great to him when he finally woke up on his, in his dying days was the greatness of his folly. In fact, his folly was so great that God split the kingdom and said, the throne of David, the seed of David, is not worthy of the, ten, of the twelve tribes. We'll give him one. You see, your sins will take you. You will set the trap that ensnares you if you choose the way of sin. You ever thought about all these drug lords and mafia guys? I mean, how did they get John Gotti? Remember that? It was with his income taxes. That's how they get them all. Who filed those papers? Well, he did. It was all in his writing with his signature on it. You know what? He was bound with the cords of his own sins. He shall die without instruction. How many guys are in prison, thinking about the perfect crime. Thinking about, oh, I just made a little mistake here. If I could fix that. You know, if you worked half as hard at being a criminal at an honest job, you'd be rich. It is that way, at least right now in our country. You still have freedom to improve yourself if you want to. But it's the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. What seems to make sense will lead to your destruction. 
it's not going to be a little mistake. It's going to be a huge mistake. Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. We've done a lot of reconstruction in this building, still into it. Hopefully one day we'll finish, if I could ever get a couple of weeks where I can stay home. But I'll tell you what, there is not a straight corner in this building. Not one. Everything has to be modified. I mean, you cut everything nice and straight and put it up, and the top corner won't fit. And so what you have to do is you have to shave the top corner to get it in there. And it's just the way things are. You don't need to deviate far to really mess things up. If you've ever laid tile, it all starts with the first one in the center of the room. If it's not straight, oh boy, are you going to have fun. And if it is straight, once you get to the walls, you'll find out how crooked they are. (laughs) Because it doesn't take much deviation to make a great mistake. And this is what Solomon was telling his son. And it was a great folly that Solomon finally succumbed to and led the entire nation astray. Do you know that it wasn't until the days of Josiah, the last fully free king of Judah, that they got rid of the mount of corruption that Solomon had built just outside the city of gates, the city gates of Jerusalem, for his strange wives and the worship of their false gods. That was hundreds of years down the road. The wickedness of Solomon was still there. So start, attend, pay attention, bend your ear, learn to regard discretion. Someone says, you're a boring person. I say, thank you very much. You're just just narrow-minded. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's a compliment. It really is. Because it means that I'm staying with what the book says. But don't you know that kind of behavior went out 50 years ago? Oh, yeah, so did a lot of other things. Let's keep it. Amen. Let's respect people. Let's keep our distance. Let's let's regard some discretion. Because if you do that, your lips might keep a little knowledge as well. And it'll keep you from being bound with the cords of your own sins and going astray in the greatness of your own folly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We see this chapter in the book of Proverbs. And Lord, it is.